Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the greatest sports podcast in the Metro Detroit area. It's teaming it up with the as all here. My name is Connor. I'm with the V of C and V Flatty on another fine Monday evening in the Detroit area. What's going on, man? What's new? Uh, life without football. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, nothing really. Uh, I'm excited for the episode, kind of talk about the Lions season and be able to kind of talk a little bit more about it objectively with our minds as opposed to, to emotionally with our hearts, the way we kind of screamed the last couple of weeks. So excited for that. Outside of that, just kind of doing life. Car still not fixed. Still annoying having to open through the uh, the, the passenger door. But what are you going to do? Um, I, I don't have much to add. Uh, turn it over to yourself if there's anything noteworthy. Yeah. Oh, actually, sorry. I also don't have the car. Sorry. I was going to say, since we are Mr. Uh, since we are teeing it up and we are the golf podcast, I did go out and I bought a Scotty Cameron putter. This past weekend, I had a nice uh, nice gift card from Santa Claus this past year, and I figured, you know what, makes it cheaper in my mind, makes it cheaper to, to on the credit card statement, so let's pull the trigger. So I'm excited for that. Can't wait for my first four putt. I'm going to want to break the club so much more than the old one just because it's nicer. It's going to be like, oh, well, why doesn't this work when in reality I'm the problem because I'm not good at golf, but what are you going to do? Yeah, I'm – Amply excited to see you use that on a course. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> like some people we know, that you call it a Scotty Cameron and not a putter. Well, I had to. I I'm not going start to be to calling do that, it that. I'm like, not going to be calling it that. Right. It's just I had to let everyone know at least what it was. Right, right, right. Okay, because I know people that do that. <laughs> and <laughs> I was. I'll I'll take it from you if you start to do that. We'll just say that. Please please bully uh, me if, if if you see the silver spoon going up my ass. Please please bully me. <laughs> uh, I don't have anything to report either. Really, um, I also am carless. I also um, it was a weird Sunday yesterday. Not like I was looking around for like something to watch in the afternoon, and uh, I watched Ohio State Penn State, which is like or sorry, Ohio State-Purdue basketball, um, which I don't usually do. I don't watch a ton of college basketball if it's not like Duke-North Carolina or a Michigan State game. Um, but that time you get on a Sunday afternoon with no football and these couple weeks after you know football is over is a weird time in my head for sports right now. So it's, it's readjusting my brain a little bit sports-wise. Uh, so today for topics, um, we are going to, to uh, as always, do a deep dive into our deep dive. Uh, we're going to cover Michigan State basketball, uh, the week that was and the week that will be. Uh, we'll get into the Genesis Invitational. Yes, we're going to talk about golf on a podcast called Up. I know some people have been critical of us in the past for not talking about golf, giving our, our, our the name of the show, uh, but we will be talking about golf and then we'll finish it up. Uh, just three topics today, the third and final, which will take most of the episode, will be a recap. Um, objectively speaking, as Vladi mentioned, emotionless, I'm sure it will be, it won't be, uh, of the Lions season and what is to come in 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get into it. Michigan State basketball, this two more wins. Um, I guess there were two wins. You, you looked at the schedule and you said, you got to get those. Um uh, Wednesday night, a win on the road against Penn State, who has kind of been all over the map. They have a couple of really nice wins, but 
Uh, I believe they're now 12 and 13 overall. Uh, Michigan, and then that was Saturday. Michigan on the road again for state, uh, pulls away at the end, wins 73 63. Uh, any quick thoughts from this week's week of games? No, so I was telling you beforehand, I didn't get the big chance to watch these games with kind of full with full mind on it. Uh, probably should have, but it's just some other stuff popped up. Only thing I could really say was uh, we were clearly better than both teams, and you could kind of see with how the games played out. When both of those te- when the teams we played against, I say, when they were hitting their shots, that was the only time they could keep up with us. Um, mm. I know we like talking about half-court this and half-court that, but uh, from a regular game flow, neither Penn State nor Michigan could keep up with us when their shots weren't falling at an absurd rate, and good for them. Um, I'll kind of let you go a little bit more in depth, though, and then I've got one interesting fun fact to throw out. Uh, I think the biggest development for me for this week is Malik Hall. Uh, you'd be remiss without – he went for 29 against a career high against Penn State, and then he obviously led the, led the team in scoring against Michigan with 18. Two really good score games from him. Um, and I know how bad it is from three-point land. Uh, even the free throws, although he's made them the last few weeks, uh, looks a little you – know, just doesn't look right, the stroke that is. Um but he's been turned into a great, almost number one option defensively at times. Uh, Tyson Walker's actually kind of struggled. I, I can't, I don't remember how many he had against Michigan, um, but he finally broke the double digit streak against Penn State. He only had six. Uh, so if he's going to have nights like that, Tyson Walker wise, um, it, it's nice to see Malik call this offensively. You've waited four years for him to do this on a consistent basis. Seems kind of finally hitting that stride now. And that is good news for a Michigan State team that does not score enough down low. Because even though he's kind of a, a, a rush four at six, seven, six, eight, uh, he's bigs and he can also hit fadeaways down low. He's got some kind of post moves. Um, he's not going to have, you know, your seven footer. He's not going to back down your the other team's seven footer, that is. Um, but he gives them more of an inside presence, which I think then, you know, opens more stuff up outside for kickouts for the guards. Um, another guy who shot the rocket better is Jaden Akins. He seems to be moving from three. Another guy you've kind of looked to um, be a little more consistent with the stroke. He seems to look be at that point with the three-point shot where you're trusting him, you know, maybe not to the level of Joey Hauser last year, um, but he's there. And, it, and it's starting to – I don't want to overreact because it's two average wins against two below average opponents. Um, But it's starting to come into form for them a little bit. Obviously they've won four of the last five. They'll play a solid Iowa team tomorrow. And then an Ohio state team over the weekend who just beat Purdue. Um, So we can't get too ahead of the horse here, Um, but they're in a good spot and they've played progressively consistent and better throughout the season, which is your stare. A typical Izzo thing. It'll be super interesting to see how that carries into when you play um, Northwestern, who's a top four team in the Big Ten, Purdue, in two of your last three games. Uh, but they are trending in the right direction as we get late into the season, as Izzo teams do. And for this team, you didn't know if they were going to get there. And it's a step in the right direction. Oh, I know a lot of people are overreacting to. The Michigan game was very close, and Michigan's, um, but a rivalry game on the road. Uh, I was more impressed that when you didn't play your best ball in a couple of minutes, they did this against Illinois. 
kind of didn't do this against Penn State, but we're starting to see it more often, is that they can pull away at the end of these games. They get, they're get they getting those shots. It's not the six, seven minutes of who's going to who's gonna get the next basket for us. It, we got guys who want to make shots in the last couple of minutes and we trust them uh and that's something they haven't really had throughout this season yeah um the la- the thing i wanted the cool statistic that i saw after that game was michigan state is eight for ten on making it to the final four when they win on the road at the chrysler arena and they are zero for 12 when they don't so wow some some, some omens right there what a stat that is and now i think even even j- it's kind of funny how it, it works I saw us uh, in the this coaches or rankings AP. I believe we were like the fourth highest team uh, with votes that weren't ranked. Yeah, so, I mean, they, hey, you know they, they'll come back though. Then maybe they can push for that top six, a uh, top six seed line, which will be massive to kind of avoid the one or the two seed in the second round. Yeah, I think that we literally talked about this last week how they were probably a last four in right now. I think with just two average wins, they're back up. So like I've seen them as high as an eight now. So it's crazy how fast that turns around. Uh, moving on to the Genesis Invitational. Uh, a couple of storylines I kind of wanted to hit. We, we talked about the waste management last week. Um, Genesis, another large event for the PGA Tour. Um Hideki Matsuyama gets the win. He shoots, I believe, nine under on Sunday to win by three strokes coming out of nowhere. I want to say he was down five or six going into um, Sunday. So just an epic performance by him. He was just darting the ball up, to be honest. Um, he's always an interesting I, – I think it was funny He was because obviously he was came from behind, so he was waiting for the people behind him. Did you see the clips of him sitting on the hill just like vaping? Oh, uh, the the caddy. Yeah, yeah. I I did. No, see, I saw Matsuyama. the picture. Oh, Matsuyama. I thought it was just Matsuyama. It was Matsuyama himself. Ah, I no, thought it was just I, caddy, but I, I saw pictures. Yeah, entertaining. Uh, anyways, that's the storyline as far as the winners. I think really the two talking points from this event are uh, Tiger Woods withdrawing from another event. Obviously, his first time playing this season. Uh, and then Jordan Spieth. I don't know if you saw the Jordan Spieth stuff. He was disqualified after he, his opponent put down the wrong score for him. And I, my only thing with this is, like, how do we let this, like, how do we let this happen when every single shot they take is on camera? They have a rules official with them the entire time. Why doesn't the rules official keep score for the two people in in their group? Why is it the other guy and you're relying on the other guy who's focused on his score to put down the right score for you? And you just, I guess he, I, I but then at the, the counter argument is like, how does Jordan Spieth see his car or the opponent's card and not correct him? So I guess there's two sides to that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely agree with your kind of why questioning. I think it's more of a, I, I kind of even take it step further is you have so much technology and you mentioned the cameras why is this not automated now i understand maybe in a bygone era 25 30 40 years ago where you had three cameras on the course maybe it was a little bit different it, it there was a, an honor system of i can't cheat because if i they find out i cheated they'll kill me or something like that but 
at this point, you're right. We got cameras on cameras. We got a million dudes around there who, who all wear these special yellow vests or these special things with the, the country club logo on it that says, I work here and I'm going to be an official for something. You're, there is no reason why these guys should still be, I don't even say asked, it should still be demanded of them to kind of sit there and keep their score with that much accuracy and to have a, to, to, to sit there and throw him out, I'm not going to sit here and pretend he deliberately wanted to do that. Yes, if he's deliberately out there going Patrick Reed, flattening the bunker with his club, that's one thing. Maybe you can kick him out for that. But if he missed the score, come on. Take it well, yeah. You know his score probably better than he does. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's just a ridiculous. I'm with you. I think it's I think it's outrageous to to kind of that that's one of those little old boys clubs that they're going to sit there and never get rid of because that's how it's done and that's tradition. I just think there's so many like you said with technology and then the, they have a guy following them on every hole already to make sure they're keeping the rules. Why doesn't he just keep scoring? It, I, I completely agree with that. I don't understand it, but it's one of those archaic sports. What are you going to do? Yeah, and then the other thing is Tiger. Uh, tough news. He makes it through about six holes on Saturday or Friday. Uh, and is, I believe it was, I, I've heard sick stomach issues. I've heard diarrhea. I've heard uh, back stuff. He was complaining about the back spasms on Thursday. Um, I know they got out an ambulance and then he didn't go in it because he didn't want to be seen going into the ambulance with the press in front of him. Um, so just some weird more stuff. It truly, I hate to say it, and I it maybe it's a bit of an overreaction from his first event back, but I has now withdrew from more tournaments than he's finished uh in the year and a half he's been back since the accident. Uh he's now gotten more surgeries and has come back from more injuries since the accident. I don't really see how this ends with Tiger Woods holding up another trophy on the PGA tour. So yeah, I, I I I'm starting to kind of completely agree there. Um, the one thing I kind of had a question was: Has he even finished a tournament post post wreck? I uh, I want to say he finished the first one. Uh, he's finished. I want to say it's like two of the. He's only finished like two of the five or two of the mm-hmm. six. And obviously, when we say finished, we mean missed cut too far back and finished thirty six, right? He played. He's played all four once, and I want to say it was his first round at Augusta. His first time back at Augusta. Okay, so of course then he knows. Fair. Um. Yeah. I. I'm kind of with you. Um. I think he. I remember we talked about this maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago, whenever it was, and we kind of brought it up. And I. I was a little bit more optimistic of, oh well, it's Tiger. Let him get healthy. I'm starting to kind of go, kind of jump into the camp of like it'll never happen again. Maybe this is just him ramping up the the walking, the ankle, the foot, because as we've kind of jokingly found out as we get older, there's a very big difference between conditioning yourself and actually being in competition shape. Maybe this is him just one tournament at a time trying to get back to some form of normalcy. That's the glass half full take. The glass half empty one is obviously the career's done at this level turn 50, go to the senior tour and go ride around in carts with John Day. Yeah, and just go, come play your your majors twice a year or whatever. Yep, whatever he's exempted to, which I think is like three of the four. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of agree. He's 48 years old now. He just turned in December. Um, 
it's 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 tough because you you want to see it and i it's like one of those things that he has nothing to prove to that it's yep. it's, it's purely up him wanting to do this my last note on tiger woods and it's not a genesis thing it kind of is is that new logo is horrible i actually didn't mind it to be honest okay I was not a fan. It's what is the brand called? Tiger Sunday or uh, Sunday Tiger, Red? Tiger? Sunday Red. Yeah, yeah. They need to. That thing looks like a like a JD basketball Cougar logo. Yeah, I, I enjoy it, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it's the greatest thing ever. Also, yeah, I, don't know. I just I I thought they could have done a better job. And I know that it's 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 tough because I know he doesn't own the rights that. The TW logo, Nike yep. owns that. So that was such a cool and iconic logo that it was just maybe it's just really just weird to see him not wearing that. Yep. Um. Anything else about the golf or the the basketball before we get to kind of the big topic, the Lions season recap? No, I think I'm ready to go into the. I mean, we could briefly mention the NBA All Star Weekend this weekend that happened. <laughs> Uh, I think I texted you this this morning. Uh, people complaining about the dunk contest. There's only so many ways a human can dunk a basketball, and we've been doing this for so long. I think we've just run run out of cool things a person can do that people are genuinely impressed by. Yeah, I think it's a little bit more than that. I don't know how much you kind of watch or how much you saw about it. Um, kind of that Saturday, the, the skills competition – you had everybody taking it as a joke. Anthony Edwards shooting with his offhand. Scotty Barnes just throwing the ball over his head for shits and giggles. It, for me, it's more than just a dunk contest thing. I think I, I've said it before. The concept of an all-star game in American sports has completely run its course. Um, and I think it's kind of a 50-50 split on blame. I think it's 50% on the players who just don't care because – they're like, oh, well, I'm too well paid to do a glorified open gym for the fans. And then I also think 50% of it's the media. They spent the last 20 years screaming at LeBron James saying, rings are the only thing that matter. Rings are the only thing that matter. Rings are the only thing that matter. And then they turn around. And when the players decide that, oh, well, you told me rings are the only thing that matters. So I'm going to stop caring about non-rings. Yep. I'm going to turn the NBA regular season into a joke. I'm going to stop doing all this stuff. And then they turn around going, ooh, they start pouting. It's like, how could you do that? We used to have be prideful about this. It, I, I think I think it's 50-50. And I, I just is, think the concept it is 50 I, I, I kind of attest to the theory of there's just now so much money in these sports. Yeah. Uh, and like you say, the, the media is so uh, – has driven championship or bust in these guys' heads that the stakes – one of these things are so high – uh, that it's 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 now no longer become worth it, and I think the genuine general fan has kind of accepted that too, and that's part of the demise of it is that you've accepted that you'd rather see guys not go hard in this and then go, you know, play uh, as hard as they can in playoffs and beyond and, and into a championship. Yep. And I, as a fan myself, I'm okay with that too. I think. Uh, I think all-star games in general, really the only one that's truly, and I know the NHL specifically has done an okay job of keeping players somewhat interested. Uh, there was like a million dollar bonus for the winners this year. Uh, so there was, I watched some of it. It wasn't, still wasn't what you would ex want it to be really the only one. And it's maybe because they've already played 162 of these games. So what's one more uh, is the end 
it actually has World Series uh, stakes. Is the thought... Major League Baseball All Star game? It doesn't anymore. I, I lied. Actually, yeah, I was gonna say I thought they uh, they, they canceled that. Yeah, just recently, a couple of years ago, but it, it did for the longest time. And I would argue that the Home Run Derby is probably the uh, probably the best event in all of all star sports right now. I'd probably agree with that. Um, it's kind of obviously it's the most pop. It's the big bang play. Um, I'd probably completely completely agree with that. I just I go back and forth because obviously every year when this weekend happens, people are like, oh well, how can we make the all star game meaningful again? It's like I don't think the answer is to do what the World Series used to do because you always you always bring yeah. up the thing. If if I'm if I'm eighty two and zero and I'm in the Western Conference. And a couple of Western Conference All-Stars who barely made the fringe playoffs lost to the Eastern Conference All-Stars. Why should I lose the right to home court advantage? So I don't think that's the fix. Maybe they do the NHL thing. They start incentivizing them the way they did with the in-season tournament. But then you kind of further drive this narrative that these guys aren't even players anymore. They're just mercenaries. They were given this talent and they don't really even care about what they're doing. They're only there for money. Because I know basketball specifically has a has a problem with that you've got guys coming on to shows and podcasts and whatever it might be radio and they're like yeah 40 percent of the league hates playing the sport but they're good at it and you got to put food on the table i i just think turn into soccer have a couple charity games with legends have some have some people on the nostalgia train and go go out there get out of there yeah uh so we can move forward i think to the big topic of the day. Yes. Uh, Lions, um, their season that was obviously 12 and five in the regular season, two playoff wins, ultimately losing um, in dramatic fashion, blowing a 17 point lead to the San Francisco 49ers. It was a year to remember for the Lions. I'll start start with that. Uh, There's a lot of good things to look forward to. A lot of good things happened. Well, it might not have been the end result that you wanted once we got there. Uh, as a Lions fan, it was genuinely the best experience of our lives. So I'll I'll start with how much can you complain? I don't think you can. If um, I'd say if we're going to do a, kind of one of our little ratings of one through ten, I'd say we save that for the end um, once we talk about everything. Um, I guess the way I had written things down, if you want to go a different way, let me know. But kind of talk about the games themselves. Very big overview. You don't need to go into specifics. Then kind of talk about the players because that's kind of where the bigger part is, is the progress that each individual player kind of unit group took. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the first two weeks of the season were hilarious because we went from the greatest thing ever of beating the reigning Super Bowl champs on the road to wanting to jump out of a, a plane with no parachute after losing to Seattle. Then they kind of built up some steam, 5-1 and one going into the Baltimore game. Um, then we found out what playing on the road against a top team looks like. We got shellacked. Then once again, build up some steam, got to eight and two, and then we kind of hit our little lull phase that all teams hit. Um, there's no no one's going 17 games in a row playing their best football. That's just not possible. So I guess in hindsight, thank God they got the lull out of the way in the middle of the season, not in the first game of the playoffs. That would have been very annoying. Um and then you kind of followed it up with two with a massive win over Denver to get out of the lull, and then they clinched the division at Minnesota. You had the Dallas in the second Minnesota game, which didn't mean much at the time. Um, that, that was kind of the regular season. 
Um, going into the playoffs, obviously the Rams game, all of the storylines, the, the hype. I think that was probably the most electric the crowd was between the between the two playoff games, just with not having done it for 30 years. And then obviously the second time you get a second playoff game in seven days, it's natural to take a step back. But that's from a fan perspective of the actual environment. Both games, team did what they needed to do. Um, took got points where they needed to get points, as opposed to their their opponents who kicked a lot of field goals, specifically the Rams. Made it to San Francisco. We all know what happens there. We don't need to rehash that. So, good season. I mean, if you go back to what we talked about, maybe in the summer of what our predictions were for this team, I think we were both kind of around a similar. I said eleven plus or minus one win. They hit the plus good for them I don't really know if you kind of what you had but so I think this was kind of uh it, it definitely exceeded expectations yeah no I don't think I could have broke down the season um in better words than that that I don't really have anything to add to that part let's go into individual players start with the quarterback Jared Goff what are your what were your kind of thoughts from yeah you? uh Goff impressed, and it's I'm going to say the stereotypical thing that I think everyone says. Uh, given a clean pocket and a clean situation, he's probably a top ten quarterback in the NFL. Uh, things go downwards quickly when he's under pressure, you know, as it does for a lot of quarterbacks. It just seems those effects are maybe exacerbated for him. Um, my theory is it's because he's literally the most immo- immobile quarterback I've ever. Um, which genuinely in today's football, uh, to not have a guy that can look at all the guys that can extend plays. Like I think of pretty much all three of the other quarterbacks in the uh, conference championship games could do that. And Jared Goff could not. Uh, It is something to be said. It is, you know, the difference I think between him making 50 million, like one of the Mahomes or Lamar and him probably being in the high thirties to, 40s of what he actually gets this offseason um but i think he came in it was a year where you said yeah jared goff is probably the guy but is he the guy and he did enough this year where you know and i don't think there should be any doubt in most detroit people's eyes that he is the guy moving forward yeah uh totally agree could not have said any better he is. I mean, I could almost argue he's the best game manager in football when he's given the tools to game manage. You're never going to lose the game because of him in a clean pocket, um, and you're probably never going to win the game because of him in a clean pocket. He'll he'll make the throws that he needs to make. He'll find the open receiver. Um, I and I, I think I agree on the monetary side as well. They're probably looking at oh, probably Daniel Jones' money, maybe a little bit more, just because that's how capitalism works, and he's going to have to get a little bit more than Jones did, but. He, he's earned it, and I think you've summarized it at the end perfectly. There should be no doubt in any fan's mind that that is the quarterback for the Detroit Lions. Are we doing like a grade or after our breakdown? or? I mean, I was going to do one overall for the season, but we could do individual players too. Okay. One through ten, I give Jared Goff a 7.5. I'd give him an eight. Like I said, did what he needed to do. Uh, you're not going to lose football games because of an eight out of ten performance, so good, good for him. Um after that, uh, David Montgomery. David Montgomery. Uh, a year, obviously, where he had some injuries. I don't know. I, I, collectively, as a running back room, it, this was one of the more refreshing seasons as a Lions fan because 
we not haven't necessarily in our life. I, you, you can go back to like the Stafford days where it was like Stafford's never had a hundred yard rusher in a single game and like how that was a thing forever. Uh, and then you had two guys come in this year and uh, I know a lot of it is, and most of it is offensive line, but really assert themselves would be a good run game. Uh, David Montgomery, three-year deal, uh, comes in in the first year from Chicago and I think does a good job when healthy. Um, may not be the rookie leg burst that Jameer Gibbs, who I'm sure we'll talk about next, had. Yep. Uh, but he kind of asserted himself as that power down back, and he did good in that role. Uh, obviously, I think his role kind of shifted around it. Kind of had it as, its ebbs and flows, I think, as far as carries, because I can think of a couple of games where he got the ball the entire first half, and then it was all Jameer Gibbs the entire second half. Um, and I know that's mostly based off momentum and the flow of the game. Um, but his role kind of changed within the backfield for the Lions. And he, uh, I don't know, I don't know what else to say besides, yeah, he did a good job. I'm happy that he's coming back next year. You know, running backs are so unpredictable that can he repeat it next year? Who knows? Um, or can he repeat it the year after once you give him a three-year or since you gave him a three-year deal? We'll see. For me, I I, I I agree with all that. But what I had in my notes was I'm very glad that he's on my football team and not Jamal Williams. I think that was one of the big stories of the offseason was a lot of the fans here kind of fell in love with Jamal Williams as kind of – I'm not going to even call it antics because antics kind of has that bad connotation, but his personality yeah. off the field. Personality, yeah. And I think they let that blind them to what Jamal Williams really is, and that's a bowling ball at the goal line. Um I'm not paying a bowling ball at the goal line $6 million a year because I could grab any anybody off the street to be a bowling ball at the goal line. Um, so I am, I'm immensely glad that it's him, not Jamal Williams. He's better in every other facet of being a running back except being a bowling ball at the goal line, and it's good to have him. Uh, I saw one thing that was really interesting with Montgomery in terms of the way his play style was, and I actually thought it kind of fit was – he kind of reminds me of a Frank Gore type where he's never going to be that elite, elite guy, but he has the body type to kind of just stick around forever. Now, obviously, we'll see how the body holds up, but he just kind of he kind of gave me that the Frank Gore vibe. I like that. I like that a lot because he does kind of and I know it's kind of the way to do it now. Uh, if you think, as I do, that this could be a two back you know, backfield for the next few years, he's not going to have to have, you know, Derek Henry like carry yep. numbers that, to yep. take away air on his body. Yeah. Um, to Jameer Gibbs. Or uh, I'll, I'll give Montgomery. I'll give Montgomery a seven. By the way. Yeah, I'll, I I was going to say seven, seven and a half. Did yeah, pr- do. probably would up be higher if he didn't wasn't injured for a, a couple a few games. I, I can agree with that. Uh, to Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs. Someone who came in uh, with a lot of pressure from this podcast, at least. Oh, yeah. Um, wasn't happy with the pick, obviously, the first-round running back. Uh, not the guy we were expecting to take from out of Alabama. Um, and early on, wasn't necessarily used in a way you thought a guy picked that high was going to be used. Um, however, as the series, series season progressed, I don't think you can argue with what his role was because he was good at it. He was a speed supplement to uh, Montgomery. Uh, at times, he even was the one A or the one guy ahead of Montgomery when the situation was needed. 
He breaks tackles. He's very fast. He's, he had those rookie legs, which are very noticeable. You can tell running backs, unless it's Christian McCaffrey, who's on their first contract and who's on their second, uh, just based on the kind of giddy up in their legs that they have. And Jameer Gibbs kind of has that breakaway speed. Um, I do think part of that is he they kind of did a good job with his role, and I know I complained about it at the beginning of the season, but they did a good job of kind of giving him more and more responsibilities and putting him in more and more different situations as a pass catcher out of the backfield. Um, you know, even more short downs that you were seeing Montgomery in early in the year. And he kind of passed with flying colors, in my opinion, I have nothing to complain about. Do I think he's necessarily a game changer, like a 12th overall pick should be maybe not. Um, but it was not a bust of a pick. You cannot say that with a straight face. Yeah, um, I, I am glad that we're past the, the the yelling that we used to have the first couple weeks of the season. And the one thing I always made known, and I hope it's never, because to everyone who's listening, to everyone who I've ever talked to, I hope this like this wasn't ever lost. I've never hated Jameer Gibbs, the player. Jameer Gibbs, the player, is sensational. I've always hated the concept of running back at 12. Because, as you mentioned, you're probably not going to be the game changer because that position has kind of lost its value and you can get similar production down the board. With that said, you you mentioned lights out speed. Um, he is the rocket to kind of Montgomery's more power. And the only thing I could really say, it, and this is not a knock on him, this is more of, I think, how he was used. They teased him as this, oh, my God, we're going to play him at receiver. Oh, my God, we're going to see these two back sets. We never saw them. So going forward, I want to see Jameer Gibbs no. the receiver because um, I think that that's something that they can absolutely do to add more wrinkles to this offense to make it even more unstoppable. Um, if I had to give him a grade, and this is, again, I'd probably go similar to Monty, seven, seven and a half. I, no yeah, I'm also going to say seven. Absolutely nothing to say wrong with it because he, he did what he needed to do, and it's just it is we live in the world where it is what it is. I, I, like, I love Jameer Gibbs the player. I just don't love Jameer Gibbs the number 12 overall pick. What are you going to do? Mm. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, to Amon Ross St. Brown. Amon Ross St. Brown, who, uh, from what I've heard, is going to be getting somewhere in the three-year 20 in per range, which I think is crazy that they're – that would only be fifth highest running – or running back, wide receiver. Uh, and like the way capitalism works, he was due to be, to be honest, not paid running back – or I keep saying running back, wide receiver in all football. So if you can get him at that that twenty five million mark, you you know anywhere under thirty, to be honest, I would be super happy and take that any day of the week. He is that guy. He's a legit number one receiver. He reminds me not necessarily. In, he reminds me because he's not like the bodied AJ Brown or like he's not the breakaway speedster like a like a CD Lamb in Dallas is. But you know what he is 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 he's like a I don't want to say Travis Kelsey because he's a tight end, but a trait that Travis Kelsey and Cooper have is that they're very good route runners and they just always have a knack for getting open. And that's what Amon Ra is. He's a guy that can get 10 plus receptions in a game because of his just innate ability to get open. And it's not necessarily going to wow you athletic. He is a strong guy, but he is good in all sets. He can run different types of routes, different types of sets. You can put him out of the backfield for a screen. He can run the deep ball if you really wanted to. He doesn't do that much. Uh, but he is your versatile, uh, any down, any type of play route guy that also is a good option for when Jared Goff 
if you ever were able to extend a play, <laughs> I'm very good at getting open and finding. Yeah, I don't have too much to add there. Uh, I kind of said he is at worst a top seven, maybe eight receiver in football. I personally have him at six. I kind of give other people the edge over him just because they can win deep, whereas I think maybe he lacks there. But that's not a bad thing. Like you mentioned, he's not 6'3". He's not running a 4'3", So winning deep for him is not something that's in the job description. His job description is be open and be very good at getting open. And that's what he does. Catch the football. He's a warrior plays through injury, runs into contact. I mean, that his kind of play style has gotten him hurt at times where maybe if there's a little bit more DeAndre Swift and he protected himself or some Tyler Lockett of, oh, I caught the ball and I'm just going to fall down because I don't want to get hit. But he's just not that person. Um, I love him. And you mentioned the money. If you can get Amon Ross St. Brown for $25 million a year, that's an absolute steal. Um, if we had to go – yeah, uh, ratings. Give up. I'm... Nine. Yeah, I, I'd go nine and a half. I might even say ten. I mean, if you're one of the top five, six players at your position in football, how am I supposed to knock you for it? So I'll say nine and a half just because ten yeah, is perfection. But, yeah, he's sensational. Where do we go next? Do you want to go Sam Laporta or Jameson Williams? Uh, we'll start with oh, Jameson Williams, um, kind of his first full with the squad. Uh, I think some of my issues with, like, oh, aren't necessarily Jamo's fault. I think are an issue with him. Not nearly as much have been. I, I think he's gotten better at that, but they are still an issue. I think more my issue is with how they use him and that they don't really use him as a uh, legit to be honest, he should be a legit number two receiver the way he should be getting the ball. And he just doesn't – they don't trust him like that. And that's to see at this point since this was his first full year. Um, I also kind of – as far as his usage, to see him run more than just the deep ball. And they kind of started to do that in the playoffs and at the end of the season. Um, but I think more – I don't want to say that, like it's over for him. He's just going to be this middle of the line receiver. I do think he can be a legit number two on this team next year. Um, but the jury's still out and how they want to use him and if they feel that they can trust him, which is obviously on him to change that. Yeah. Um. First off, first off, one quick thing. Uh, turn your camera off. You're kind of cutting in and out. So just hopefully that sends more of your bandwidth to the audio. <laughs> but yeah, to okay. talk about to talk about Jameis Williams, I think he is kind of. Everything you said is completely correct. I think he's actually kind of the X factor for the Lions next season. I think the con continued development, and it's rather unfortunate that we're using the term continued development for a number 12 overall pick, but mm -hmm. him getting to a stage where he can, as you say, become a wide receiver too on the team, where he's not just running the go route or he's not some gadget player who gets touches designed for him. If he can become a true receiver who plays more and it did get better. You look at the snap share, you look at the targets, you look at the catches, the specific routes he was running. He was getting more of that as the season went on. And I'm hopeful that as another offseason for him to build some rapport with Goff, another offseason to get healthier, another offseason to kind of build trust within that kind of organization with Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson, he, to me, is the guy who can kind of, 
I don't want to say determine the Lions ceiling, but he's absolutely the guy who can raise the Lions ceiling because you know what you're getting out of Laporta. You know what you're getting out of the run game. You know what you're getting out of everyone except for him. And if he can hit that potential that he could have had, this is going to be an even scarier offense next year than it was this year. And that's a problem. That will be a very big problem for the rest of football. Yep. Uh, I'm going to give him a uh, four. I'll give him I'll give him a four or a five just because, yeah, as you mentioned, didn't do much, but at the same time, he didn't have opportunities. Um, how much of that was on him? How much of it was on what whatever the Lions were doing was working? And Josh Reynolds for 19 to 20 games was Mr. Reliable. I don't know, but hopefully next season he can take that step forward to a good wide receiver, too, on a football team. Uh, so Laporta, uh, I'll start by saying one of the uh, – it's kind of hard, hard to say much about Laporta because he legit had one of the best rookie seasons a tight end has ever yes. had in the history of football. Uh, he was a pro bowler. He not only was he the best rookie tight end, he was a top five tight end in all of the sport. And, again, I'll go back to kind of like Amon Ra. I said it. He doesn't wow you, like, with how huge he is as a tight end. He doesn't wow you with how, you know, maybe athletic he is for his yep. size. But he's kind of like Amon Ra, too, and he runs routes really well. He gets open, and he has good hands. And that's all you need from that position. And he proved to be reliable as it gets for Goff. Goff has a ton of trust in him. Um, you look for him to take even another step up to join kind of the elites. I guess – you're basically just looking for not a sophomore slump this year. Yeah, uh, um, that's that's essentially all you're looking forward to out of out of him next next year. I I completely agree with that as well. Um, it is very hard for a tight end to hit right away because tight ends kind of have some of the hardest jobs. Well, at least rookie tight ends. Sorry, outside of being a rookie quarterback, because rookie tight ends have to a learn how to block as a lineman and then b learn how to catch as a tight end. They have to do both both jobs, and Forget about a learning curve. He showed up and he was ready from week one. Um, he was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, he he not just played like he is a top five tight end in football. I know I don't really I don't like saying this that often about rookies because I do want to see what happens. You got to be able to replicate it. But he was so good last year. It was it was incredible. Yep, uh, I'm gonna give him a nine point yep. five. Nine nine and a half ten whatever mm -hmm. you want. Like he he was. He, he can write his own number down. If he wants to be an 11 out of 10, he can. He was that good. That good. Yeah. Uh, who's next? I was just going to I was gonna talk about the O-line as a whole and then highlight Panay Sewell. Um, I think we talked about in the summer that this was a top five to top three offensive line in football. I would probably upgrade them to a top two to three offensive line in football at this point as a unit. Even when they missed some pieces, they still largely stayed very, very good. Mm -hmm. um, I want to highlight Panay Sewell. He's the best offensive lineman in football. I don't care if we're talking left or right side. I don't care if we're talking guard, center, or tackle. He is the best offensive lineman in football. Um, it's going to be a very expensive re-signing of Panay Sewell, but when you're that good, you do whatever you want, man, because he's special. Um, the ability to play at both tackle spots, the athleticism, the power – just honestly the versatility he's catching passes for us i don't see many other yeah. i don't see many other tackles doing that so kudos to this offensive line it'll be very interesting to see what happens because i know jonah jackson is an impending free agent taylor decker's yeah, a year older what's happening at right guard between by graham glasgow but th there is definitely some 
not want to say question marks, but there's going to be some some eyes to see what they do. Are they going to pay Jonah Jackson 10 to 15 million a year? I don't know. He's kind of missed some games the last couple of years, but overall this past season, phenomenal. They set the tone for everything the Detroit Lions wanted to do and everything the Detroit Lions could do. And if I had to give them a, a rating, nine and a half, 10, 11, do write whatever you want. When you're that good, do what you want, man. Yeah. I don't have much more to add. I just would say um, it'll be interesting for me. The one thing I look at is uh, with Penny Sewell being as good as he has been at the right tackle position. And as you mentioned, Taylor Decker gets a year older. Uh, how they uh, or do they even consider moving Sewell? I'm not saying this upcoming year, uh, but at some point, Taylor Decker is going to be too old. And Sewell, does he switch to left tackle as he is kind of proven he's one of the best uh tackles on either side in the game yep um moving on to the defense this is where the rave reviews stop and this is where maybe we have a little bit more inspiration um the defensive line uh, i'm going to group all of them together but mention two guys individually um aiden hutchinson uh i think he kind of continued the jekyll and hyde performance his last his last Five, six games of the season were phenomenal. I think he racked up eight sacks in five games or something like that. I don't I don't remember the exact stats, but he finally showed up. I, I would like to see it for an entire season. I, I don't want to keep doing this. Where are you? Where are you not? Where are you the way we have the first two years? Please put a whole season together. And I know it's unfortunate that you have no help. Maybe you'll get some this offseason, but good on Aiden Hutchinson. I'd give him overall a seven, seven and a half. Um, Aline McNeil. Uh, he was also good on the interior, kind of became that. Uh, took He took a, a second step forward going into his third year. Um, it became a disruptor while he was actually healthy. Hopefully he can take another step forward and kind of provide some help from Hutch, even if it's on the interior as opposed to the opposite end. I know they were technically elite at stopping the run, but if every team can pass for 350 yards on you, why would they run on you? So I think that was kind of a little bit of Fugazi stat by them having that like quote unquote best run defense in football. If I had to go overall on the D line, I'd probably go a four. Yeah. I I would have them somewhere right around average, to be honest, four or five. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm not quite as the, the thing with Hutchinson is he finishes the season with 10 and a half sacks. You know, that's fairly good, especially in his second year. I know he's a high pick. Uh, but it just seems like you mentioned the consistency. It seems like he's either on and it's a two multi-sack game with, you know, maybe some TFLs uh, or it's uh, we don't see him for an entire game. And you'd love to see him maybe uh, just put together more complete games. And I'm not going to p- complain about a guy that can get two sacks in a game, but I also don't want to see, you know, a legit number one DN getting, you know, bodied for uh, games on end or games in a row. Uh, So that's my only critique with Hutchinson. I like what you said about McNeil. I think he's a guy that I had no idea who he was this year and now going into this year. And now I think of him as a legit, um, you know, option moving forward for the Lions. Uh, The rest of that D line, I think just needs consistency as far as staying healthy. It feels like a lot of those guys, um, you know, I look at James Houston. I look at some of the other names of guys that just like it's been a revolving door, partly because they haven't gotten any consistency in the level of play, but also because there's been a lot of injuries. Um, and it's it's probably for me. I know we'll talk about the secondary. It's for me the biggest get this offseason is another 
uh, piece on that line to supplement Hutchinson. Complete, completely agree there. We will talk about it. Last thing I want to say about the defensive line is they were tied for fourth worst in football in total team sacks. That's not good. Got yeah. Got to do better than that. Um. So yeah, for me, four. Uh, the linebackers. Yeah. Um. I would I would classify these guys as hot and cold. Um. Anzalone was probably the most improved player on the team going from twenty twenty two to twenty twenty three. He, it kind of looks like he was chasing shadows for the first two seasons in Detroit. And then this year, he actually was a very good player and a good middle linebacker. I think he just lacks that kind of sideline to sideline speed that some of your top linebackers in football have. And that is what it is. If, if you can make that with football IQ, go for it. Um, Jack Campbell, uh, not as great. Not as great of a rookie season. It seems like he was maybe the one rookie of those top four picks who didn't quote-unquote hit. Um, a little disappointing. I mean, during draft day, you had, and obviously this is, this is just fans being fans, but you had people sitting here saying they saw Luke Keekley in them. I didn't see Luke Keekley there. Um, I, I mean, unless we're talking about Luke Keekley at 30 years old or whatever he is now in this version of Luke Keekley, but yeah, gotta, gotta need to get some more out of Jack Campbell. Yeah, uh, he's another one where, uh, especially early on, I criticized kind of their use of him, but I think there it gets to a point where it's like Xavier Booker with Michigan State, uh, is that when you see what he does in the limited opportunities that he's on the field, you understand why he's not getting more opportunities on the field. Yes. And I think that's kind of how Jack Campbell uh, was for a lot of this season. Yep. Um, I, I guess maybe the one good thing I can truly say about all of them, this includes Derek Barnes, was anytime Aaron Glenn called up kind of a blitz, it seemed like they were able to get home and they did kind of have some sacks for quarterback. Yeah. Uh, I would give that group probably, again, right at average as a five because, you know, I think Barnes and um, Campbell are probably below that. And then Anzalone is probably up by around a seven. So Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat, five. Um, to the secondary, uh, um, this was supposed to be the big step forward from 2022 to 2023 based on the resources they invested into it. Yeah. And I understand it went south with injury. You spend money on Mosley, who tears his ACL. You spend money on C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who tears a peck and then turns out to be a bum. Cam Sutton was signed to be a wide a cornerback two, but had to be a cornerback one. Brian Branch, sensational. Um it's tough because I feel like so much of what we can talk about is just Cam Sutton not even being on the same yeah, planet yeah. as some of the wide receivers, especially down the stretch. But as you mentioned earlier, a lot of this does come down to the defensive line. It is a lot harder to play quarterback in football when you have to chase the other guy for five seconds instead of two. And when the other team's quarterback has unimpeded, free, being able to step into a throw every single time. So... As you mentioned, if they're going to sit there and if there's going to be a big addition this summer, get a defensive line because that also helps your secondary. Yeah, uh, I like how you were you went relatively easy on Cam Sutton because I wasn't going to. Um, <laughs> even though I, you do make a good point, he was kind of signed to be a cornerback too, and with the injuries and all that happened, he ended up having to play a larger role. Uh, and maybe just we found out he was not that guy that could do that. Uh, you're not that guy, Cam Sutton. Yeah. Um, 
the a name that I think I wanted to shout out as being a surprise and sensational that you didn't mention is Melifonmu. Yeah. He kind of came on mid midway through the season and uh, asserted himself as a legit starter in this league. He's something I think you'll have to be watching for next season as well and see. I really like he's a lot of speed. He's got ball hawking abilities. Uh, he he's really good off the line. He makes he. I think I can think of a lot of sacks he had. Uh, not a guy you necessarily even heard of, nor do you, could you probably even pronounce his name going into this year. I know I still can't, um, but that's a name to watch for as hopefully a promising piece for the secondary moving forward. Yeah, he definitely benefited from that C.J. Garner-Johnson injury, being able to play more um, overall from this group. And I guess this is, in my opinion, solely kind of – not solely, but in, mostly propped up by Brian Branch's play. But give me like a three for these guys. It was not great. Yeah, three. Uh, would you want any uh, – I'm looking, thinking specifically C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Do you want him back? Nope. I, I've, I've, yeah. said it, I've said it before last couple of weeks. Absolutely not. Can't have yeah. a guy who puts his individual beefs ahead of the team collective needs. Get out. Yeah, just yeah, I'm yeah, I agree. Uh, um, what else? I was gonna say, oh uh, no, <laughs> one. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll go to coaching. Um, so yeah, so so we're getting a third party, and you're telling us we're we're dumb for not wanting CJ Gardner Johnson back. He's we, one of the best in the league at his position. You guys complain that we didn't go for a Chase Young or a uh, Montez Sweat because of the vibes. He's Maybe he doesn't match the vibes. We got Brian Branch you pair him with, and that's one of the best secondary or uh, backfields or whatever they fucking call it. The issue is both of those guys play slot corner. You can only have one slot corner at a time. CJ Gardner, Gardner Johnson was solely responsible for a stupid flag because he wanted to go hit Debo Samuel. And the only reason we ended up not making a bigger deal of it was because we ended up scoring a touchdown on the play anyway. He shit talks when he doesn't. Didn't he also have like four pick sixes on the year? No. Dude, he was no, dead he for 15 games. What do you. Is that his fault they tore his pack? You're going to blame his playing ability because he got. No, injured? but I'm going to blame the fact that the Saints let That's him like go. That's like saying Joe Burrow let him go and the Lions let him healthy. go. I'll just say this. Your best ability in the sport of football is availability. That's the first time he's been hurt in his career. Okay. Ethan, you want to pay him you want to pay him seven million dollars to go be do what Brian Name someone better you're gonna get for seven million dollars. Uh, Brian yes. Branch can play the position better for Brian Branch isn't on the field. We have like the highest salary cap in the league. Easton, if if CJ Gardner Johnson was good, why did the New Orleans Saints trade him for a seventh round pick? If C.J. Gardner-Johnson was good, why did the Philadelphia Eagles let him go for 47-year-old Darius Slay? And he didn't want to resign. Years? That's why didn't, they didn't pay No, Darius they didn't Slay give him right money now. because James Bradbury and Darius, Darius Slay were more important to, to them. Because he didn't want to resign. Oh, now he's in Vladdy mode. I'm, I kind of I, I lean. I agree with Vladdy, though. Dude, they didn't pay Darius Slay because they were going to resign C.J. G.J., and then CJ DJ said, I'm not coming back. I'm going to walk. So they paid Darius Slay. I just don't – my take – you guys did a good deep dive analysis on this. Knew probably more about this than I did. I think it's literally as simple as I just don't think he's a good enough player for the antics we saw this year. I think his antics get a bad look because we're, we're a vibe team, you know, and that's why we didn't go after – How are they – 
how are they a bad like how are they not a bad look because we're a vibes team like what if it, i said they are a bad look yeah no matter so what does what that you directly are. go against him being on this team if everything's about vibes and he's gonna sit there and right be yeah, yeah like culture you were, is you so the biggest complainer about fuck the vibes let's have a good team and now you have a guy Who's average? Get okay, who's average. average. Easton, no, Easton, average. Easton, you ready you for some fun? You guys are just saying he's average because he missed the majority of the season. No, I'm not. Actually, you ready for some more fun stats? The last six games of the season, he came back every single quarterback threw for 350-plus passing yards on us. Ooh. So, he's not solely responsible for that. That's also Cam Sutton. That's also Brian Branch because, I mean, they're not just throwing 350 yards when fucking – What's his name's on the field? Okay. Um, can we finish? CD yes, Lamb had 350 yards alone. How are you going to blame that? You've been CD cut. You've been, you've been cut off. You 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 made your contribution. We'll let the people we'll let the people decide who's right here. Um, uh, moving on. I think what, what what are we looking at next? Outlook for next season. I was just, just I, I was, was gonna I was gonna kind of throw the coaches together as a whole. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Um. Being able to retain both coordinators is massive, especially when it's for for a couple of weeks. It was at least what we thought was a foregone conclusion that one of them, if not both, would be gone. You get that next level through that next year of continuity. The Detroit Lions will now, will now be the only team in the NFL since 2022 who has not changed an offensive coordinator. That's massive. That is, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, and just gotta gotta see some more things. Um, he, he, we, can, we can get a little nitpicky of each of the guys. Ben Johnson, it seemed like third quarters just completely, I don't know if it was lost faith or decided to be cute and being proactive with his tweaks to react to the defense's tweaks when there was no tweaks by the defense and he just gave up on certain things that were working. But Aaron Glenn, obviously, got to be better. You can't have bottom six defenses four years in a row. Um, and then Dan Campbell, he is who he is. Um, if I had to give an overall coaching thing, I'd say an eight. Yeah, I was going to say a seven. Um, and I think that's just because Aaron Glenn brings him down a couple points. I think, I think it's hard to argue that Ben Johnson or even Dan the man are below that. Um, like you mentioned, Dan Dan is who he is. He hasn't changed it. He's brought in a new culture. You can't argue with that at this point. So, Yeah. Um, the last thing for me, uh, Brad Holmes, and this is going to be a little bit more of a preemptive thing for the future as opposed to what he's done previously. He's a top three to four GM in football. I can't put him near the top yet because, A, he doesn't have a Super Bowl, and, B, he hasn't built it continuously the way maybe a Howie Roseman or a John Lynch have. Um, I, would, I would just say he did the easy part. Um, the NFL is designed for what the Lions have done in the last three years. It is designed to build a team that can compete and build a team that can win with some high draft picks followed by some easy schedules, followed by some wins. Now is the hard part. Now you got to turn your three to four year parity cycle into a six to eight year dominant cycle. Now you can't. And then now we get to see what Brad Holmes is going to be doing when he's not picking in the top six every year. And I'm very curious. I mean, he's absolutely alert, earned every right to do that. He hits more than he misses on his picks. He makes some interesting trades. And I know that he was kind of given some pieces that maybe other GMs don't get. He got two first round picks with Matthew Stafford's trade. He he was able to move off of Hawkinson. I would have liked to see a little bit more of a return than a couple of pick swaps, but he, he made the most out of that trade with some good, with some, with kind of just uh, recurring moves to kind of end up with a Sam Laporta replacement who you could argue was just as good, if not better than Hawkinson before his injury. So it's just, 
Brad has done the easy part. It's time for the hard part. Start finding guys at pick 30 and pick 60. You don't get to pick at seven anymore, man. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think the only thing I'll add is I'm just very curious for uh, free agency this year because I think a lot of people were disappointed uh, with what he did free agency-wise last year. I think a lot of people were disappointed that he didn't really do anything at the trade deadline this year. Uh, and he's been such a done such a good job of obviously changing the culture. He's brought guys in in the draft that, like you said, he's hit much more often than he's missed. Uh, I think just the to kind of close the circle to, like you said, make this a long-standing thing. Uh, you, you can't just draft everybody. You do have to bring in some guys eventually. Uh, and I'm just curious to see what and if he does anything this offseason. Yeah, Brad Holmes, nine. Yep, I'll also give him a nine. But uh, other than that, that's kind of what I have. Uh, overall, I'd throw the season at eight and a half, nine. Um can't really say it was a 10 because you didn't win a Super Bowl and it's not like you were the Houston Texans going from the number two pick to winning a playoff game. So can't give them a 10, eight and a half, nine. Yeah, I'd say an eight. Yeah. Um, I think if you don't, you, if you don't make a Super Bowl, you can't be a nine or above, but. I, I mean, I think you can, depending on what your preseason, like where you started. Um, no, I, no. I, I, I don't, honestly, no, I, I don't agree with that. I don't care who you are. You can't say it was that good of a season if you didn't make the Super Bowl. So what would you rate the Houston Texans? I'm going to use them again as an example. How would you rate their season? Seven and a half. Come on. They went went from the number two pick with a rookie head coach and a rookie QB, and they won a playoff game. How can you not – can't you – Seven and a half is good. But their season was better than good. It's not like they built the thing. They won a playoff game. To make the – for me – if you don't make the playoffs, you don't even get to five on my list. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I love it. There's winners and losers, and that's how you rank them. That's a- Okay. But I also think that you do have to factor in where their starting spot was because not everyone starts at the same spot. Missing I don't the know. Play- the Lions are a weird one, though, because, yeah, they've been bad the last couple of years. and I mean, they went 9-8 and eight last year, but the expectation was to be exactly where they were. It's just, yeah, we, and- we hadn't seen it, so you couldn't have believed it. Yeah, but that's why I'm giving you the Texans expe- the Texans season. They went from 2-15 and 15 or whatever it was to 10-7, and seven, winning a division, winning a playoff game. That's why I think you can go higher than 7 with them. Yeah, I'll move up to an eight because they did win a playoff game too. <laughs> you're 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 a, you're a tough crowd, man. <laughs> the Browns. Uh, so predictions for next year? Oh, I'd say we do that later because we gotta we gotta get to the dynasty meeting, man. We gotta figure out what our new rules for next season. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so we got fantasy football meeting in February. So that should be fun. To those who made it this far, uh, maybe if you want to throw some rankings our way, if you want to say that Easton was wrong with the CJ Gardner Johnson take, feel free. And we will see. We have to bleep off all those F bombs he went off. Yeah, I'm going to have to make sure this is an explicitly rated episode.